How anti-fragile are you? International relocation brings with it disruption, challenge and change, and also hopefully a lot of fun, positive experiences and professional and personal outcomes. There are the ups and then the downs, and as expats we hone our resilience through those experiences. But is resilience enough? In the book The Black Swan, Nassim Nicholas Taleb says... The anti-fragile is beyond the resilient or robust. The resilient resists shocks and stays the same. The anti-fragile gets better and better. Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad podcast. I'm Louise Wiles, an expat change and transition coach and your host for these conversations with expats and international mobility professionals where we share stories, strategies, tips and tricks to help you build a thriving international life. Now, so much has been written and said about resilience during this pandemic. And resilience is the ability to withstand adversity, to accept and cope with negative, disappointing, disruptive and challenging life events and come back at least as strong as where we started, if not stronger. Now, sometimes our attempts to come back can be derailed We can reach for negative coping mechanisms and head down a route that feels a little bit helpless and hopeless. And I really hope that at these times, these will be the moments that we seek support from friends and colleagues. Now, anyone who has experienced the dip and come back will understand the energy it takes to come back to a resilient state. And for me, I find the word resilience doesn't particularly inspire. Perhaps it has something to do with the mental connection I have when thinking about resilient properties in objects, you know, regaining its original shape after being stressed in some way. I feel that resilience is broadly a protective measure rather than a concept that inspires growth and learning. Bounce back is an often associated phrase, making me think I'm bouncing back to where I was before the setback, which to me just doesn't sound quite so inspiring. To enter the concept of anti-fragility, in her new book, Becoming Anti-Fragile, Dr Paige Williams talks about anti-fragility based on the work of Nassim Nicholas Taleb. In her book, she says, to understand whether something is fragile or anti-fragile, there is a simple test of symmetry we can apply. Anything that experiences more downsides than upsides from random events is fragile. Anything that experiences more upsides than downsides is anti-fragile. So if you gain more from disruption, challenge and change than you lose, you are anti-fragile. And this is a concept has really hit a chord with me for a number of reasons. I want more upsides than downsides as I experience and live through uncertainty and disruption. Struggle is part and parcel of life. We can thrive despite struggle, and yet we talk about struggle as something we must avoid. Well, no more. Anti-fragility shows us that we can learn from and thrive through chaos, chaos, disruption and struggle. And finally, I'm intrigued to learn more about how to build the upsides and lead forward to come out of change and disruption stronger. So what about you? 
If you're keen to learn more about becoming anti-fragile, then listen to this podcast. But before you do, I have one suggestion, and that is that you go and take the anti-fragile survey created by Dr. Paige Williams to accompany her book, Becoming Anti-Fragile. It's free and you can access it from www.theantifragilesurvey.com. That's theantifragilesurvey.com. Then, once you've printed off and had a read, come back and listen to the podcast as Paige explains all. Now, a little bit about Dr. Paige Williams. Paige helps leaders understand how to feel well, do well and lead well so that they can benefit from the dynamic, complex and uncertain environment in which most organisations operate. She's an honorary fellow of the Centre for Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne and an associate of Melbourne Business School. Paige uses a potent blend of positive psychology, neuroscience, leadership research and her 20 years of international business leadership experience to provide practical, evidence-based pathways to help leaders and organisations thrive through change. As always, there is a full transcript which you can download from thrivingabroad.com. Look for blog posts associated with this episode, which is episode 65. And while you're there, if you haven't already, then sign up to receive my regular newsletter with all the latest podcast news and associated content. Enjoy the conversation. So hello Paige, it is lovely to have you joining us today. How are you? I'm really well thanks Louise, very well. It's the end of the day here in Melbourne, Australia and I know it's the start of the day with you so it's lovely to be with you. Yeah, no, really lovely and great to hear, you know, we're just having a chat before the conversation and I knew that you have lived in the UK, went to university in the UK, near to where I live in Portsmouth, which is, um, it's lovely to know that there's that connection too. I have very fond memories of uh, of that area of the UK with my university years there. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lovely town. If anyone's ever around and thinking, yeah, go and visit Portsmouth because the old historic area is fantastic, the dockyards. Um, the seafront it's it's great it really is great okay so then just to set us off on on our conversation perhaps you can just tell us a little bit about your international expat journey yeah sure so um, as you just mentioned I was um, I was born in the UK grew up in northwest London near Harrow and Wembley um, went to university in Portsmouth and then I spent um, about six or seven years working in Europe. So I uh, worked for a company called Mark Warner and we did water sports holidays in the European Mediterranean. So I was in Corsica and Sardinia and Southern Italy. And then we did wa- uh, winter holiday, winter holidays in the um, European Alps. So I was in kind of Val d'Isere, um, Maribel, uh, France, Italy, Austria um, and Switzerland. And so um, <laughs> once I got to the age of about... Uh, well, maybe about 22, 23. I was only ever back in the UK for kind of two or three weeks at a time in between seasons. Um, and then, um, so that, that, was, that was my first kind of international working experience. But then when I was in my late 20s, um, I came over here to Australia 
um, and settled in um, on the southern coast of Australia, about an hour south of Melbourne, near the Great Ocean Road and uh, the very famous Bells Beach. Um, and so I've been living here now for nearly, oh, longer than I care to think. <laughs> well, nearly 20 years. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it sounds like a lovely place to be. And I'm quite jealous of your Mark Warner experience then as well. My daughter, my eldest daughter was actually just talking about, oh, I think I might like to do the ski season. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Coming back from our ski holiday this year. But, yeah. I highly but recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, um, so I guess that as an expat and, and, and someone who's worked abroad and you know kept returning and going away again, you've you've experienced the change and transi- transition that comes with moving your life across international borders. Um, and in your in your work, um, you support leaders to thrive through change. And your book, Becoming Anti Fragile, has just been released into the world. I'm really interested to know what was the, the catalyst for the book idea and how did your expat experience feed into that concept? That's a, that's a really interesting question that I've been reflecting on, actually, Louise, since our first discussion. So let me answer the first part of that question first. Um, so I've been, I've been a leader. I, I've been kind of a, a CEO and a, a senior executive of organisations. And so I tend to put most things through that lens. And I also... I really believe that leadership, whether it is formal leadership in an organization or what I call leadering in the book, which for me is how we just show up in our lives, what, you know, what personal leadership, self-leadership, leadership in our families, with our friends, um, with our colleagues at work, um, how is it that we can lean into the leadership opportunity there as well? Um, and so in, in terms of my leadership experience and then Um, As I came over to Australia, I came into the field of positive psychology, which looks at what makes life worth living and what what helps people to thrive. But I came at it through this organisational and leadership lens. So what is it that helps leaders and systems to thrive? Um, And so coming to the middle of last year, it was actually, that I came first across the word anti-fragile and I was reading Mark Manson's book about hope. Um, and he suggests that everything we do moves us towards fragility or anti-fragility. And I <clears throat> hadn't come across this word before. And I've been teaching resilience for like 10 or 15 years in my work with positive psychology. I lecture at the University of Melbourne. My PhD is in positive psychology and creating systems of thriving. So resilience was something I was really familiar with. But this idea of anti-fragile, of there being something kind of the other side of resilience really um, intrigued me. And so I read the original work, which is uh, by an author called Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And anti-fragile actually comes out of economic and political systems. And that's how he frames it in his original work. Um, And as I was reading it, I was thinking, well, what would this look like for leaders and and in organisations and in teams and in families and in everyday life? How could we take this um, idea and actually make it something that's really relatable and real to what goes on either in organisations or around family dinner tables kind of every day of the week? And then as I, as, as I was studying more about it and thinking more about it, I realized that also the reason it really resonated with me was because I had a lived experience 
that was becoming anti-fragile, which is now the name of the book. Um, and that I really felt that this was something I could authentically help people understand more about. And so much of my lived experience has been about being in um, either contexts or countries or organizations that are something different than what I'm used to. You know, change isn't something that I've kind of shied away from. So whether it's been because I've, um, you know, the stories I have from my time in Europe, you know, when the heating blew up in a hotel in France and I really didn't know what the French word was, was for central heating. And, you know, those kind of very obvious cultural barriers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right the way through to the more subtle ones as, as I um, established life over here in Australia, where we speak the same language and, you know, lots of the cultural cues are the same, but there's these really subtle differences. And I'd find myself making, you know, social faux pas or having a very British sense of humor, which let me tell you is, is, is miles away from an Australian <laughs> one. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I think that anti-fragile was so interesting for me, both from a kind of theoretical and conceptual standpoint from my academic work, but because I felt I'd had a lived experience that was this as well. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic to hear how it all feeds into their lifetimes of experience, both academic and, and sort of practical, experiential um, has, has you know, fed into it. And I think that's, that that comes through in terms of the comprehensive sense I get from what I read and, and how applicable it, it seems to me. So I'm really excited to get into that and talk about that and see how, you know, and discuss how it fits with this kind of expat lens and experience. Um, and, and one thing, just listening to you talk there, I think life is full of transitions, isn't it? Whether we recognise that or not. And um, I was having a conversation with somebody about this recently and you know, we're always facing a transition of some kind. You know, it might be a little one, um, but something in our life is changing. I think often we don't realise that and we don't realise that we have those skills and those abilities to cope with change. And I think we've all been forced to really look at that through the pandemic and the impact of the pandemic. But so let's get on and, and talk a bit more about the sort of context and the framework in the book. Um, you know, what resonated so much with me um, that was the, type, you know, the title. You know, a lot of the work I do is focused on supporting internationally mobile through disruption, challenge and change. And so your book, your complete <laughs> book title is Becoming Anti-Fragile, Learning to Thrive Through Disruption, Challenge and Change. And it just seems such a perfect match. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> really excited to delve into the connection in this conversation. And in particular, as I said, given the current context of COVID-19, um, which has added a layer of complexity to everybody's lives. And I think mm. in particular for those who are internationally mobile. So perhaps you've given a bit of a framework to sort of what anti-fragile is, but can you just build that out slightly more and just explain, you know, where really resilience sort of sits within the framework? Um, yeah, you say it's to. no longer enough. So can you explain more about that? Yeah. Um, and I think that as I explain this, you know, some people, um, when they hear the word anti-fragile, they, they kind of think, oh, so, so I thought it was okay to be vulnerable. And, and I think it's important that we kind of um, separate those two ideas. So, so let's do that too. So yeah. we can think of... Um, we can think of it on a continuum. So imagine at one end, 
we've got fragility or being fragile. Um, and we, we're kind of familiar with what the idea of something that's fragile, something, is, something that's fragile, it, it breaks easily, it can't withstand pressure, it has to be handled gently. Um, and that's, you know, that applies to objects, whether that's a vase or a pane of glass, but equally it applies to people. Um, and I know that I felt like this, and I'm sure you have and your listeners has, have as well, Louise, in terms of just, you know, when you feel fragile, it's one of those days you just want to stay with the bed covers over your head and it all feels just a bit too much and you want to kind of stay safe and play small because you're feeling fragile. It's all, it's all just a bit overwhelming. And... Um, if we move up the continuum to the middle of the continuum, this is where we might come across words like robust or resilient. So let's separate those two first. So if something's robust, the metaphor I tend to use of it's like a lighthouse. It can kind of withstand the elements. Um, and so it's strong in the face of challenge, in the face of adversity. It kind of stands strong. Now, resilient is something just a little bit different. Resilient um, is something where you may be knocked back at first by whatever it is, the challenge or the disruption or the level of uncertainty, but you have a capacity to bounce back. And as I've taught resilience, as I say, for the last 10, 15 years, we use a metaphor of a tennis ball and we talk about, you know, being able to bounce back to where you were before. You're certainly impacted by whatever's going on but you're able to bounce back from that. And you know, that's why for me, resilience is, is no longer enough because well, for, for one thing, and I've, I've seen this as I've, um, as I've helped senior leaders and leadership teams and, and whole organizations, you know, there's a lot of energy in bouncing back, right? That's a lot of energy just to go back to where you were before. And we need to actually move forward from there because standing still in the environment in which we all operate now, which is moving so fast, means that actually we are moving backwards. It might be slowly, but we are moving backwards if all we ever do is bounce back to where we were before. So what's the other side of that? And this is where the idea of anti-fragile comes in and the way that the original author and um, Taleb describes it is uh, very simply the test of anti-fragility is if you experience more upside than downside through uncertainty and disruption. So if, if we say, okay, I get that in terms of economic terms, what does that mean for people? And the way I describe it is it means that even as you experience the struggle inherent in challenging uncertainty in disruptive contexts, you're able to move to constructive action and learn forward in some way. So there's constructive action, there's learning forward, and those two things mean that we come out of this experience in some way better. Now, what that looks like depends on the individual and the context or the team, but we actually don't go back to where we were before. We come out of it in some way better because we have learnt and we take that learning forward and that informs our experience and what we choose to do going forward. So this continuum is fragile at one end and that's when we, wanna, we want to stay small and play safe and we feel like we might break if anything more is asked of us. In the middle is this idea of resilience, bouncing back or robust, you know, standing strong. And then beyond that is this idea of being anti-fragile, where actually it's not that we don't experience the discomfort, but we come through that experience in some way better than we were going into it. 
Fantastic. And as, as you describe that, and I'm thinking sort of in my mind about sort of the experience of the internationally mobile, so moving to a new country and adjusting, I can exactly see that movement along the continuum. And, you know, there's days when we feel like not getting up and not carrying on <laughs> um, right through to the anti-fragile um, where we're learning and getting better at, at, at what we're doing. And um, it's like a spiral, I suppose, in a way, isn't it? It's really interesting, Louise, because it is. It's very much a dynamic process. And so it's not mm. a case of that. And that's why the, the, the um, title of the book is Becoming Anti-Fragile, because it's not something where we just go, okay, that's it, that's done. Don't need to worry about that anymore. Because as you brought up earlier, there's always something in our lives that is, is moving and changing or there's uncertainty around it or there's challenge around it. And so we might feel that we're, you know, feeling pretty anti-fragile today in relation to what's going on in our family. Um, you know, everyone's going pretty well and we're on top of the dynamics there and that's all good. And then we come into our workplace or we, you know, and a work colleague or there's a new project or there's a new something that then throws you know, uncertainty or disruption into that aspect of our lives. And so that's where we need to kind of um, draw on more anti-fragility. Um, or it might just be where we are, like we feel fragile in terms of the confidence around the ability we, we have to meet the demands of us in one area of our lives, uh, whereas actually in others, we feel that we're well supported. So as I explain in the book, anti-fragility is about it's the, it's the interaction between the level of confidence, motivation and support you feel you have in relation to the level of disruption, challenge and change in your environment. And the bigger the gap between what you feel you have to draw on in terms of motivation, ability and support and what you feel is being asked of you in terms of disruption, challenge and change, if there's a big gap, that's when you start to feel fragile. Wow. Fantastic. That so that and um, the word that you use, you struggle. I think often, certainly, I, I think sometimes we think we shouldn't have to struggle. And I think just thinking about the expat scene and you know, people relocating for new jobs, um, perhaps promotions. Um, often people have very positive visions of of what their future life abroad is going to be. <laughs> um, obviously, because otherwise, why would they be going? Um, but because they have that perspective and that lens, sometimes the reality, when reality strikes and the, the struggle comes in, which it inevitably does, um, people can feel that they are, are struggling in a way that they didn't expect and doesn't feel right. Um, so I think having this, this, this framework really helps to sort of situate it and help people realise that, yeah, you're going to oscillate and particularly as you adjust and and settle into a new culture and a new life abroad and and having that sort of the confidence and motivation motivation and the support is, is really important and I think um just as an aside here but one of my bugbears about the way in which sometimes international mobility happens in organizations I think often people don't aren't given the or, or supported to develop the skills that are really um, required and to recognise the strengths that they have that will help them um, through change and transition that comes with international relocation. So I can see many, many very useful aspects of this model um, to the international experience. So I think um, one, of the, one of the things we talk about in the book is that anti-fragile, becoming anti-fragile is not a solo endeavour. And it, and it absolutely isn't. You know, there are some 
think some some um, kind of myths that we need to bust around what it means to be able to deal with disruption, challenge, and change effectively, so that you can get better, be better through it, and trying to do it all alone is is not the way to do it. Actually, drawing on the support that you have and and drawing on other people to help you gather the the motivation and the ability to deal with it um, is the smart way to navigate it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for many international assignees, they're in a position of responsibility sent abroad to lead teams and change programs, grow businesses, and it can be a very lonely experience as they adjust to the new living and working environment with the added pressure of feeling that they have to prove themselves. So it really can feel quite isolating. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, and time and time again, we're shown to be more effective working in groups than we are working mm. alone. You know, if we go yeah. back to to cavemen, there was a reason that we survived better in tribes than we did alone, okay? And, yeah, and you know, in yeah. terms of the way our brains work, in, the t- in terms of the way that we problem solve, we do it better with others. Absolutely. So the aim is to develop our, or become anti-fragile, which obviously, yeah, it makes so much sense listening to you speak. And I can see how being anti-fragile would help when working through disruption, change and transition, as we've just said. Um, So the next question I have is, how do we develop this? And I know you've developed six principles to help. So can you explain what the six principles are and provide some tips on how they could help people as they relocate and strive to thrive in their new locations? Yeah, sure. And so just a word about um, why I chose principles. So um, there are six principles, as you say, Louise, and they spell the word robust. So they're an acronym. I I personally hate acronyms, but I also know that they work um, because our brains love shortcuts. Our brains love hacks. So if all you can remember from this is robust and there are some principles around robust and then your brain will go, yeah, well, what was the R? It, it helps us have a scaffold to frame lots of information around. So that's why there are six um, principles and um, I've worked them around the word robust. So let's go through each one. So the R in robust stands for recruit your brain. So I have this thing, don't fight physiology, right? And, and so um, one of the, the founding things that we need to understand is how do our brains work? Because if we're, we're fighting that, when then we're kind of fighting the, the mainframe computer and there's no point us doing that. So one aspect of this, and, and for each of these principles in the book, I unpack three ways that we can kind of use each of them. And the principles are just, they're guiding principles so that even as the flavor of your uncertainty and challenge and change might adjust. So whether it's, a, as you say, it's something in your work context, something with the logistics around your move, or if it's something with the family dynamics that you're, you're being challenged with, these principles will help you um, rather than having a prescriptive rule, which whilst it applies at work, that same scenario doesn't turn up at home. So then that rule isn't useful to you. So that's just to explain why there are principles. So back to the R. So R stands for recruit your brain. So one of the things, the organizing principle for our brain is to keep us safe. Um, And one way it does that is it's kind of hypersensitive to any risk or adversity that there is in our environment, anything that's going to make us unsafe. 
And because of that, we are prone to what's called the negativity bias, which means that as we look around us, we notice everything that's going wrong everything that's not going as we planned or as we expected and we'll come on to that in just a second mm -hmm. and so if we fall into that trap it can take us into a downward spiral that leads to kind of helplessness and hopelessness and there's been lots of research by um, a leading professor called uh, martin seligman around the impact that that can have on our mental health and yet actually it's the way our brains are wired so one way that we can kind of get around that is to challenge our brains by asking, well, what's working well here? What is something that is working? What's something that's going well here? So that we actually push back against this natural tendency for us to fall into the negativity bias. So that's the R. Um, the O, um, if that's the brain part, if that's our neuroscience, the O is our psychology. And it's um, O stands for operate in reality. And what this is about is because our brains get filled with so much information, there's so much input coming in from our external environment, we have to make sense of that and we have to filter it. And the way that we do that is by telling ourselves stories around what's happened. That's how we make sense of it. And yet these stories are not always helpful and very rarely are they true because we don't necessarily have all the information that we need in order to know the layers of truth that might be going on. And so um, a way to kind of cut through and, and really operate in reality is firstly to tune into your story. So I use the metaphor of it's like kind of dialing into the radio and, and tuning in. Well, what am I actually saying to myself about what's going on now? What am I telling myself about how I'm, how I'm performing right now? Um, or what I think is going on between myself and the other person in this meeting? What am I telling myself? And is that helping me? be more effective in a situation. Um, is that a true story? Can I absolutely know that that's true? And if I believe that story, who am I? Is that helping me here? And if I let go of that story, is that more helpful for me to be effective right here, right now? So this is operating in reality, which is stripping away these stories that we tell ourselves to make sense of what's going on that are often unhelpful. So they're the first two principles, recruit your brain, operate in reality, and they deal firstly with your brain, <laughs> if you like, and the way that works, <laughs> and then with your psychology and how that can sometimes get in your way. Yeah, and I can totally see how having that understanding helps with someone who's relocating and adjusting because negativity bias you know when things go wrong which inevitably you do we start telling stories and I mean most people listening will be familiar with the concept of culture shock and you know that's all around suddenly mm. seeing things you know as a challenge and and at that point not feeling particularly well or positively with, with it and often um, telling ourselves stories that probably aren't true <laughs> but as we're trying to work out our interaction in a new cultural environment and to work out how it all plays out you know it's it's quite easy at that point of struggle to tell ourselves negative stories about mm. you know our role in situations or other people's roles in situations that are having negative impacts on us and so just being aware of that you know and and having this different lens to look at things um with and, and to, to remind ourselves to think carefully about the stories we're telling ourselves is, is i think really helpful at that stage 
Absolutely. And, and it connects into the next um, principle, which is the B. And the B of robust um, stands for two things. One is um, build the positive and the other is break the negative. So the build the positive is about nurturing your inner optimist. And now sometimes we kind of um, kind of think of optimism as being something that's a bit kind of um, candy floss. It's not something that's realistic. But actually the optimism, realistic optimism is very useful, particularly when you're dealing with new circumstances and you're dealing with, you know, as you say, these new cultural situations and, and perhaps um, work experiences that are new for you. And so you haven't got um, a, a tried and tested way to um, kind of deal with them. So the question to ask to nurture your inner optimist is, what's the best I can hope for given what I know? And so this is, it locates the given what I know means it's locating it in reality and you need to already have done the reality check. You know, do I know it's true? Can I absolutely know it's true? And then to build your optimism out from there. So, okay, I've done that. I've done my reality check. Knowing that, what the reality, what's the best I can hope for here? Um, and this speaks into, you know, having realistic expectations around what's going on for you right now. Um, because the idea of it being a realistic expectation means that sometimes we need to let go of the way that things have been done before or the way that we're used to things being done because they're not realistic. So this build the positive is about what's the best I can hope for and the break the negative is about how can I let go of expectations that aren't serving me well right now. Fantastic. And, you know, that speaks so much to one of the things that is regularly talked about in experts in areas is, is managing expectations right from the beginning and, and having um, realistic expectations about the experience, which is really difficult because you're moving to a location that you're not familiar with. So how can you be realistic about something you don't understand? But, um, you know, one of the things that often I think we forget to do as, as Expats and international people living in different cultures, it is to to accept that oh okay this isn't as I was as I was expecting so let's you know break the negative <laughs> let's not mm. dwell on that and let's have a different thought about it and and a different way of approaching it so um that just speaks locally to the international experience I think and and again there's a connection there to our next principle which is the U of robust um, and U stands for use intelligent risk. And, you know, inherent in this principle is letting go of the need and the understanding that we can control everything. Um, and, you know, as, as, a, as you say, as an expat over here and as someone who's traveled in, in different countries and worked in different countries, the idea that we can control, you know, what's going on, you know, as I was embedded in a community in southern Italy or in Corsica, the idea that I could control what was going to happen with the, the local staff or, you know, some of the <laughs> dynamics with the suppliers, you know, was, was a fairy tale. It really wasn't going to happen. So um, how is it that I can em embrace that letting go um, and create um, what's called a kind of a barbell strategy so what we mean by that is how is it we can create multiple options that are like a barbell so if you can imagine a barbell has a bar through the middle and it has weights on either end so there are multiple options on that barbell but if one 
doesn't go well, it doesn't kind of knock the other one over. So they're what we call interdependent. So there isn't a domino effect between them. So you want multiple options that don't knock each other over if one of them doesn't work. And the question to ask here is, you know, what's my safety net? So where can I be safe? Where is, where is kind of um, my fallback position? And where can I afford to take a risk? Because if we play in this middle ground, if you play kind of where the clear bar is in the middle of the barbell, then you're never going to get the most upside from living through, you know, from being in uncertainty and disruption. You're only ever going to get kind of um, very minimal benefits, if you like. So this is where this use intelligent risk, take um, experiment with new things. Try different ways of leading. Try um, different ways of, um, you know, life of, of lifestyle. Try different um, patterns. Try, you know, if you're in Europe, the thing that I loved about being in the Mediterranean was, you know, they all go for a siesta in the afternoon. Well, growing up in northwest London, that was not something I was used to. But <laughs> do you know what? I adapted. That was okay. <laughs> yeah, I can relate so, to that because I lived in Madrid and that was exactly the case there too. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's this idea of how is it I can adopt what I call in the book a tinkering mindset. So kind of based in the Disney movies of, of Tinkerbell where they kind of reuse ideas or reuse things and recycle them. How is it that I can make small adjustments to maybe what I've been used to doing and take risks in an intelligent way to try new things, but not in such a big way that it means that I get knocked out of the game if one of them go wrong. So there, there isn't this domino effect. But I'm trying new things and I'm building up my muscle in terms of things not going perfectly well or them actually failing because that's okay too. We Generally, we survive failure and we learn something from it and we are better from it in some way. Brilliant, yeah. And I, that kind of really links into so much of the talk about stepping out of your comfort zone and I think that makes this, this sort of framework makes it sound more attractive I think when people talk about oh you need to step out of your comfort zone and it's not going to be comfortable and you know I love the idea of tinkering rather than taking these great big strides and not knowing what the outcome might be so um tinkering in different ways and and, and trying different things and that's certainly what happens when you move to a new country and you're settling in and adjusting every day there's something new and I always used to think you know I used to get ridiculously happy about doing some of the most smallest things in life you know um yeah I can remember going and buying a stamp once and and asking for it in Portuguese the first time I'd ever done it and the problem with post offices in Portugal is that there's usually a long snaking queue and you're at the front and everyone can hear what you were you were saying so it was just really daunting and I remember coming out and being so tough with myself and thinking this is just ridiculous because <laughs> in the UK I would never think twice about buying a stamp but you know that's that's an example isn't it of 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 trying taking a little step further um and testing it out I'm sure my language wasn't perfect but you know I learned from it I learned that I could buy a stamp <laughs> which and, that day seemed like a massive achievement <laughs> And that was a social risk, right? And and yeah. what's really interesting is if we come back to, and these, whilst we, we're talking about them individually, they're all kind of interconnected. The way that our brains process social risk 
is the, is the same area of our brain as um, processes physical risk, i.e. Um, risk to the kind of life and limb. So if we're taking a social risk, um, that, that is as much of a threat as if kind of we were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger across the plains of, of, of Africa or wherever when we were kind of living in caves. Yeah. So, yeah. so social risk um, is a big deal. And, and understanding that, you know, just by doing those things, we're kind of building our muscles around that um, is, can help you lean into the discomfort that comes with it and understand why the discomfort is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Great. So then All right, so look, to, up to the yeah. S. <laughs> yeah, so the S of the robust framework is seek collective wisdom. And we have we spoke to this um, at, at, the, at the top of our conversation around, you know, don't try and do it alone. Um, and, and the reason for this is, um, as I say, one, we're socially wired. Our brains are hardwired for social connection. Um, we are much more intelligent collectively um, than we are on our own. Um, and... When we think about diverse perspectives, diverse perspectives help us create more options for our barbell strategy, right? So if we're asking others um, in terms of what do you think about this or what's your view on this or have you done this and what can I learn from you, then the options that we create for ourselves are far more rich and far broader and therefore because we're dealing with uncertainty and disruption, if something comes well, one, we're less likely to have something come from left, left field because we've asked more people. So we have a, a fuller understanding of what the possible options or uncertainties are. But then if something unexpected does happen, we've got more positions and more options to fall back on. So this idea of, you know, asking, how can I create opportunity for collaboration here? Who can I ask? that has a different perspective on this to me, who can I ask that has done something similar whose wisdom I can draw on? So these are the things that can help us proactively seek collective wisdom and kind of take the, the kind of super person cape off and understand we don't have to do this alone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's something really encouraged with, with clients and you know, anyone really moving because actually the expat environment often is, is a great place for that because people are very prepared to share thoughts and ideas but also working internationally you know, in an international environment as well and often people are very aware of the need to share so yeah mm. yeah and okay, then the final the final yeah. one is T um, and T stands for tackle the infinite game. So when we talk about the infinite game it really moves us out of short-term thinking. Um, and short-termism is something that can make us very reactionary and mean that we don't make good decisions and that can make us fragile. So the infinite game is about looking beyond the short-term horizon to something that's more about contribution or more about the long-term benefit and, the, and, and goes beyond just you. So it also turns us away from being too ego-driven because ego is something else that makes us fragile. So tackling the infinite game means that we're thinking about a broader and longer horizon in terms of what are we looking to contribute and what are we looking to achieve and what progress do we want to make? So in the expat, you know, context, it might be that, okay, you know, t today was, was not great, but I know that in a, in a month's time or in six months' time, this will have passed and we will be, you know, ex 
at this point in time or it might be something like okay i'm not enjoying this right here right now but i know that this experience for six months 12 months two years what it is whatever it is is going to be such an important part of my career journey over the next five to ten years so it's about how can we um move it away from just being about maybe the very intense struggle that we're feeling right here right now and think about a longer time frame or how is it that we can look beyond um, just what's the return on investment for me and how is it I'm making a contribution to something beyond myself yeah yeah and I can see how that would be very helpful people who are listening now in this kind of pandemic situation and you know, perhaps wanting to react to the current local situation, which perhaps isn't so positive, but to remind us to think, well, think longer term, you know, what is it you're wanting to do um, from a, a life and a career perspective and, 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 and contribute perhaps in that area or longer term. But just, you know, yeah, take that longer term view. Don't panic just about now, right now, although it's very easy to do so with situations as they are at the moment. But um I think often also when people are making international relocation decisions, they're, they're very binary in their choice. It's about that job offer rather mm. than taking a longer term perspective about what do we want from life, often for dual career couples in particular. You know, what do we want from life longer term for both of us? Um, and, and then using that information to inform that decision about that, that job or that role that's been offered that happens to be international. So, yeah, really helpful there. Brilliant. So, um, conscious of time, um, but you know, this has prompted so, so many ideas about how to support international transitions in a way that leads to personal growth and development. Um, and I'm just just thinking that um, when we're sort of cycling through the highs and lows of transition and adjustment, um, you know, it can be difficult to, to wrap our heads around all of this. Um, and I'm just wondering what resources that we could, can we draw on to help us find that bandwidth and, and focus um, to, to bring us to, to robust and, and support us as we work through these these six principles. I know you have three three ideas around that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so as I say, the, the robust framework is a set of principles. And then um, as I go on to explain the book, how is it that we can apply those to our everyday lives? Um, and I think that there are three building blocks that if we, if we kind of use these ac across, whether it's personal growth and development or whether it's our leadership or whether it's our teams, if we focus on our energy, our attitudes and our mindset then that is what's going to help us become anti-fragile, whether that's, as I say, as an individual, as a team or as a, a larger collective. So thinking about energy, how is it that we can draw on multiple sources of energy so that even as one might be feeling a bit depleted, we've got others, we've got options, right? It's bringing in that optionality piece. So when we think about energy, we often think about physical energy, but beyond that, and that, that's affected by, by how much sleep we get and what we eat and how much we move, okay? So we can replenish our physical energy and there's so much information out there. You know, it's about finding the, the right blend for you. But beyond that is our, mo our, emotion, our emotional and mental energy. So emotional energy, make sure that we're doing things that bring us what I call a jolt of joy. Make sure that you're doing something that just fills you up because you love doing it. Now, you know, maybe that is going for a run or maybe it's watching cat YouTubes or maybe it's speaking to a particular friend of yours or maybe it's 
listening to punk rock, but something that you that just fills you up with energy, uh, with emotional energy. And then mental energy is really about proactively understanding that our brains, you know, have limits. Um, and the, the metaphor I use is it's like the basket of a balloon, right? We need a lot of energy to lift that basket off. And um, if, we, if we use up that mental energy too much, the basket's going to crash to the ground again. So this idea of actually creating space in your day to break up very mentally um, depleting work, um, either because you're taking a break completely. And, you know, we're really feeling this with our COVID work environment where we're doing a lot more kind of screen meetings and that kind of thing. But also if you're an expat and you're working overseas, perhaps from other colleagues or you're connecting back with family on screen, just understand we have to work about 30% harder in terms of getting emotional and social cues through a screen than we do when we're face-to-face. So understand that that's an inherent part of what would deplete your mental energy. So if you want to be, you know, really engaged with a family Zoom call, then just give yourself some time before that to, you know, have the the replenishment piece before you go into that call. So that's the energy. Attitudes is about how is it we can be confident and constructive and courageous. And I think you can see how, you know, if we're being optimistic, if we're being confident about what we want to achieve. So these are constructive want to goals. We're looking to the future. We're saying, okay, this is what we want to happen. These are the goals that we're going to set. And we're being brave in in doing that we're actually you know asking questions and reaching out for help when we need to we're not scared of of kind of um needing um we're not scared by wanting other people to support us and needing others to do that and then finally our mindset is about having a growth mindset drawing on the work of carol dweck and that's the learning piece in terms of using intelligent risk reflecting on that so thinking back about you know what's gone well here where can i learn where can i adjust and do something different next time that will help me be better Um, and understanding that it doesn't always have to go right first time that actually over time things will grow and improve and it's kind of letting go of that short-termism so energy making sure we've got physical emotional and mental energy attitudes, being confident and constructive in the way that we set goals and courageous in asking for help. And then a mindset that is open to learning and reflecting um, and learning through reflection and letting go of the short-termism. Sometimes it might not go perfectly today, but the learning that comes for that will help it go better tomorrow. Fantastic. And as you said that, just just thinking about all the times I've, I've moved and been settling in and the challenges that came with that and and just a reminder to take some time to just be and to reflect um probably I didn't do enough of that um, and so <laughs> to people listening um yeah take time out to really think about how you're using your energy I think that's one of the things you know people talk about burnout um in the international arena and I think you know that certainly comes from being on all the time and feeling you've got to drive and 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 be on on it you know whether it's adjusting mm. at home or adjusting at work or you know and and yeah okay you need to yeah we have to work at making and adjusting but we also need to take the time out to reflect and and think about how we're approaching it so i think those three strategies are really really helpful there so thank you so much because I think this has prompted so many ideas on how to support ourselves through international trans- transition in a way that 
leads to personal growth and development um, of a life-enhancing capability, which is becoming anti-fragile. So thank you so much for sharing all that, all of this. Um, I've got two final questions. Um, the first I ask all guests, and that is, um, and probably you've given us this um, easily here, but <laughs> I'm just interested to hear your final conclusion. What do you think has helped you to truly thrive in your international life um, and why? So I, for me, I think it's about um, letting go of expectations. I think that mm -hmm. it's so powerful to um, be, yeah, to give yourself permission to be different, um, to give yourself permission to not, not just perform in different ways, but perhaps not perform as well. And that can be really tough um, if you, as you say, are going overseas because you're taking a particular leadership role or whatever. So um, I think those two things, letting go of expectations and giving yourself permission to be different and giving yourself permission to not be perfect. Um, and that creates then space for learning and growth. Fantastic. Great. Well, I know that in, in, in association with the book, you've created a fantastic survey. I think that listeners can access. Do you want to tell people how they can learn more about the book, the survey and, and the work that you do? Yeah, I'd love to. So, yes, uh, to complement the book, um, I've created the Anti-Fragile Survey, which you can complete um, at no, no cost at www.theantifragilesurvey.com. Um, it takes less than 10 minutes, um, and at the end you'll get a personalised, tailored report um, that will um, locate your position on the Anti-Fragile Continuum and the Anti-Fragile Map. Um, and then it'll give you an insight as to how you're using each of the robust principles and your levels of anti-fragile energy, attitude and mindsets. Um, and it gives you some suggestions as to what might be the first steps that you could take based on your results um, in your becoming anti-fragile journey. So that's available at www.theantifragilesurvey.com. Um, the book is available uh, from all good book retailers, but also from Amazon uh, and um, online retailers, let's say that. Um, and it's available in, in paperback, in ebook, and in audiobook copy. Um, and I actually read the audiobook, which, let me tell you, is a great way to prove a book. <laughs> And if you want to find out about the work that I do with um, CEOs, senior leadership teams, organizations, um, you can go to my website at drpagewilliams.com. Fantastic. So I will put all of those links in uh, on the blog post associated with this episode. Um, so if you want to find those, go to www.strivingaboard.com. Thank you so much, Paige. It has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've got a whole load of notes and thoughts here. <laughs> so I, I hope everyone else has too, but really helpful. Thank you, Paige. That's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on, Louise. And um, yeah, it's lovely to be kind of doing this work for other expats um, and to think that it's meeting a need for people who, uh, you know, I've lived that experience. So yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye for now. And thank you so much for listening. Remember to access links and the full transcript from this conversation, go to thrivingabroad.com and look for episode 65. And while you're there, 
Don't forget to subscribe to the regular podcast newsletter so I can keep you up to date with all the latest podcast news and content. Thank you once again to Paige for sharing all her insights about becoming anti-fragile. Don't forget to go and take the survey if you haven't already. It's free and available from Paige's website. I'll be back soon with the next episode in the Thriving Board podcast series. Meanwhile, take care and stay well wherever you are in the world. Bye-bye for now.